6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, part 2. A changed life should also be evidenced by a changed relationship with God's other children. A purified life allows one to love purely those who share the same faith. One of the things that we probably don't emphasize enough. You know, we, we, we always talk about you should love your enemies and should love everybody, sort of. <laughs> no, the ones that should re- get primary treatment are members of the body. You should have a special commitment, a special passion, a special um, love for brothers and sisters. And uh, Paul hammers that and so does, uh, here is uh, Peter emphasizing that. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So, being born again. Peter again reminds his readers that they had experienced the new birth. And that's an echo from verse 3. We talked about that last time. The, the born again is a supernatural event. That makes it possible for you to obey the truth and to purify yourselves and to love the brethren. You can't do it without that. Without that, you're faking it. It's it's a form of hypocrisy. It's a form of theater. No, if you're born again, it's, it's a supernatural event that makes it possible to really obey the truth, purify yourselves, and so on. Incorruptible. Not corruptible seed, incorruptible. Is incorruptible seed, is it corruptible? This change in their lives would not die because it took place through God's Word, which is imperishable, living, and enduring. And uh, the same word is used in, from verse 4, was describing the believer's inheritance is incorruptible. And then we have another quote by Peter from the Old Testament. He obviously was very, very immersed in the Old Testament Scriptures. For all flesh is is as grass, all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. And he's just quoting Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, that supports this exhortation, in effect. The exhortation from verse 22. All that is born of perishable seed withers and falls, but God's word stands forever. So what God has begun in you is eternal. But the, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. This is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. James says pretty much the same thing in his letter. He says, of his own will begot he us with the word of truth. The imperishable word of God was the content of Peter's preaching. And that's basically echoing what we picked up in verse 12. His hearers must be affected by its life-changing power as integrated in the next chapter that we're going to touch on before we finish here. In fact, since we're running pretty comfortably time-wise, 
We've accomplished what I really wanted to accomplish here with chapter 1. Um, we'll uh, sneak a peek, if you will, at the next chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, because of the first word of the next session is wherefore. What does that word mean? Because of what just, he's just said. So these, it's a reminder in a sense that these chapter divisions are sometimes a little clumsy. 1 Peter 2.1 Wherefore laying aside all malice and all, God, and, all, uh, and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. That's quite a mouthful. The wherefore is the reason we're picking this up even though we, the, we, you know, we were in chapter 1 we'll pick this up as part of chapter 1. Wherefore, in other words because of all that he's just said in other words, this all derives from the previous chapter. Repentance is called for. Peter then listed five sins of attitude and speech, which drives wedges between believers. Understand, his context here was to love the brethren. So his specific thing on his heart is our attitude among believers. Shouldn't be limited to that, but that's his focus. Okay? The Greek verb expresses the idea of removing garments, laying aside, the word laying aside, uh, the, the putting off all malice. And uh, Paul said the same thing back in, in Ephesians, put off your old self, if you will, okay? The word malice, kakai in, in, in the Greek, is wicked ill will, the desire to inflict pain, harm, or injury on our fellow man word malice. We have no room for malice. We're spoiling, we are to lay aside all malice, is what he's saying here. I want you to notice all through here. All malice, all guile, all evil speakings. No exceptions, in other words. Laying aside all malice and all guile. Guile or deceit. Dolon in the Greek. That's deliberate dishonesty. Falsehood, craft, seduction, slander, and treachery. Those are all terms that are uh, indicated here. Operationally, it is the antithesis of being a fiduciary. And I encourage you to dig out your notes on Ephesians 6, chapters 4 through 9. The concept of being a fiduciary. That's a concept that is astonishingly absent in many Christian bodies. If, if you, in the professional world, that term should be very familiar to you. The word fiduciary means putting somebody else's interests ahead of your own. That's what a doctor is to do regarding his patient. That's what an attorney is to do regarding his client, and so forth and so on. There are two kinds of relationships in the commercial world, what they call arm's length, let the buyer beware or let the vendor beware. In other words, the idea is you do it with caution. That you, 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 you look out for yourself, so to speak. Let, arm's length transactions. Most of the commercial world, uh, the courts would enforce uh, a concept of arm's length transactions. There are exceptions to that that are very dear in the courts of law. And that's where a fiduciary relationship exists. That's not arm's length. That's the relationship, as I say, a doctor-patient, client to attorney, and so forth. A fiduciary relationship. That's also the relationship of a director of a corporation. 
He is the fiduciary of the collective shareholders, not just the shareholders that put him in office. That's a very important concept that professional directors would be very sensitive to. The concept of being a fiduciary. Why is that so important in the Christian body? Because if you're an employee of an employer, you, before the law, owe him 60 minutes for every hour paid. You work from 8 to 5, the rest of the time is yours, or whatever. A fiduciary, that's not true. If you're a manager or an officer of that corporation, you are no longer a, just an employee. You owe it a fiduciary responsibility. According to Ephesians 6, 4 through 9, you owe your employee your wholehearted commitment. It means you are, as a Christian, committed to protect their customer lists, protect their intellectual properties. To, you, you, you're a fiduciary of that corporation, even though you're just an employee, if you're a Christian employee. And so that comes as a surprise to many Christians. That, you, that uh, from a biblical point of view, your relationship to your employer, uh, uh, and many people don't pick this up because it's speaking there of masters and slaves, which was the economy of that day. But it applies to the economy of, of today. Our, uh, it's the same thing. So, so we, uh, we, uh, but here, the, see, the whole idea of guile or deceit is the antithesis of the fiduciary relationship, which should be open, honest, and, and even going beyond that. Deceit and hypocrisy are twins. By deceit, a person is wronged, and by hypocrisy, he is deceived. So it's a package. We'll talk more about that as we go here. Hypocrisies and envies, Peter also lists in this list of sins. Hypocrisies and envy. What is hypocrisy? Pretended piety and love. Pretending to be what one is not. A man with a double heart and a lying tongue. As Jesus quoted Isaiah to the Pharisees of their, their hypocrisy. It's um, been a private suspicion of mine that people who are in the professional theater have a tough time developing true intimacy because their profession have them continually pretending to be something they're not and they take on a role. And if they're good at it, they really take on that role for the purpose of that performance. But I suspect, in my, privacy, my private perspectives, I suspect that may start to erode their ability to maintain a relationship. And that may be one of the many uh, paradoxes of, of the entertainment way of life, which is characterized, of course, by uh, you know, marriage of, marriages of convenience and so on. Envy uh, is a, uh, uh, the resentful discontent. Uh, both hypocrisy and envy here in the, in the Greek are in the plurals. Hypotheses and envies are, uh, are they're in the plural. They're usually not con confined to a specific situation. They tend to breed in dark corners, I might say, Okay. Now here we have a whole other subject, and it's one reason I wanted to get into this where we had a little time to do this. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Let me ask you a question. 
Now, this, this here, by the way, speaks of slander, backbiting, lies, and so forth. None of these things that we've talked about should have any place in those who are born again. If you're not born again, you are subject to these things. You're a slave to these kinds of things. If you're born again, you should be free of these kinds of things. So rather, in the obedience to the word, believers are to make decisive breaks with their past. That leads me to a subject here as we talk about evil speakings. What is the most hateful, most painful sin? Many people would say murder, and I suppose you could defend that. I have another suggestion. What sin has probably caused more pain than any other of the sins? And this answer, my suggestion may surprise you. Leviticus 19, verse 16 and 17 says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor, I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart, thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Exodus 20, verse 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. You know, I personally suspect that this commandment has caused more pain than thou shalt not murder. Proverbs 10. Proverbs goes, really has a lot to say about this. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. The word fool, by the way, in the book of Proverbs, is not somebody who's mentally deficient. It's someone who doesn't have a God-fearing posture. Uh, it doesn't, his life is not controlled by God. That's the fool. Important distinction. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. The tongue of the just is, a choice, is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. Gossip, I'm going to suggest, is the most painful sin. Gossip is a form of betrayal. And I hit this hard because it happens to be so prevalent in so many Christian bodies. Gossip is probably accountable for more personal pain and suffering than most of us have any appreciation of. It's common casual, and yet hurtful beyond our imagining. Quietly, behind the flurry of daily priorities, its venom does its silent work, undermining confidences, betraying relationships, spreading unseen injustices. There are major ministries that I really regard as being very sick because they are characterized by operating on hearsay, innuendos, mumbles in the hallway, rather than open challenges. It's disturbing to note how many of us have been injured deeply by gossip and by those who accept without checking negative or derogatory innuendos whispered behind our backs. My wife and I went through bankruptcy 
uh, many, some years ago now, of course, but, um, and of course that has its trauma in terms of losing finances and losing reputation and a lot of all, a lot that goes with it. The injury and pain is far more than financial, but the most bitter aspect of those years wasn't the hardships caused by getting economically restarted. It was by the gossip and the lies and the, the slander that, was, uh, that accompanied all that. What an opportunity to display loyalty, love, and by assuming the most charitable construction in advance, demonstrate the foundation of relationship. Hey, have you heard about so-and-so? Don't want to hear it. He's my friend. You know, have you talked to him about it first? You're not going to talk to me about it until you've talked about him, have you? Ooh, wow, you're one of those, huh? Yeah, he's my friend. The tongue is a ready and willing instrument to talk about our neighbor behind his back. Romans 1, 2 Corinthians 12, James 4, on and on it goes. 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I fear lest, Paul says, when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I, should, I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. Lest there be debates and envyings and wraths and strifes and backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults, and on he goes. That was Paul's indictment, his second letter to the Corinthians, this harsh letter. Proverbs 11, 13, A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Boy, that's descriptive. Proverbs 18, 8. Proverbs 20, 19. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets, therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Ooh. See, flattery and slander are two sides of the same coin. Proverbs 26. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. And where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. As coals are burning, to co burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle a strife. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. There it is again. Jesus did it a little differently. John chapter 8. Woman taken adultery. This they said, tempting him that they might to accuse him. And Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote in the ground as though he heard them not. Interesting. And when they continued to ask him, he lifted up himself and said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast, first cast a stone at her. What most scholars presume, what he was writing in the sand, as they looked over his shoulder, was the specific sins that they were guilty of. And as they saw their name there, in effect, they dropped their stone and disappeared. And finally, there was no one left. Who's accused you? What is a true friend? One who doesn't require explanations. One who gives the benefit of the doubt. One who is loyal and shuns any form of betrayal. I have a 
a pastor friend on the East Coast. And during the Y2K era, there were many pieces of misinformation being promoted by certain people on the platform circuit about us. And one of these particular parties that ran around the country saying uh, uh, untrue things about us was scheduled to appear on this platform. And the pastor called him aside before he even started. He says, Chuck, this is our friend. I don't want you saying anything about him from this platform. I'll remember that guy for the rest of my life. He's a friend. Set the issue aside. That wasn't the point. There's a poem that really is dear to me I want to include here by Barbara Young. I hear it said. Last night, my friend, he says he's my friend, came in and questioned me. I hear it said that you've done this and that. I come to ask, are these things true? A glint was in his eye of small distrust. His words were crisp and hot. He measured me with anger and flung down a little heap of facts that had come to him. I had said you have done this and that. Suppose I have. Are you not my friend? And are you not my friend enough to say, if it were true, there'd be a reason in it. And if I cannot know the how and the why, still I can trust you, waiting for a word, or for no word, if no word ever come. Is friendship just a thing of afternoons, of pleasuring one's friend and one's dear self, greed for sedate approval of his pace, suspicion if he take a little turn upon the road, one flight into the air, and has not sought you for your yea or nay? No. Friendship is not so. I am my own. And howsoever near my friend may draw unto my soul, there is a legend hung above a certain straight and narrow way, which says, Dear my friend, ye may not enter here. I would the time has come, as it is not, when men shall rise and say, he is my friend. Has he done this? And what is that to me? Think you I have a check upon his head? Or cast a guiding rein across his neck? I am his friend. And for that cause I walk, not over close beside him, leaving still space for his silences and space for mine. Gossip. Oh, if we could just learn to control our tongues. Well, in the next session, we're going to explore chapter 2 more thoroughly, obviously. Uh, Peter's two letters, first and second, were based on two great unforgettable events in his life. The first was the confession at Caesarea Philippi, and that's going to come home to roost next, in the next chapter. The second event was the transfiguration, and that will be a major event in his second letter. So what I want you to do for the next session is I'd like you to read, of course, next, the next chapter through. But I also want you to refresh your review of Matthew 16, the confrontation at Caesarea Philippi, that is so prominent in Peter's life. 
And the question you want to ask yourself, what was the rock that Jesus was referring to? He says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. There are many groups that try to take that, and, and they think Peter was that rock. And they've built their edifices on that presumption. Peter is going to deal with that himself. He's going to answer that question for you in, the, in chapter 2. And it's very different than most people have any idea. We'll hear it from Peter himself, not our own conjectures, and see what he has to say. So I encourage you to take a look at that, and uh, let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter from Peter. We thank you, Father, for its exhortations, its reminders of those things which we need to deal with assertively. Things that, the baggage of our old life that we must cut away. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that it gives us the power to separate us from the, the sinful baggage we all carry. Help us, Father, to indeed lay aside every weight. And Father, especially, we ask you to help us with sincerity and gratitude to you and sincerity to our brethren. Help us to be loyal. Keep us from even the subtle betrayals. Help us to be a friend and thus glorify the friend of friends, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 1 Peter. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.